Welcome to the Monocle Banking Podcast, a series brought to you by Monocle Solutions, where we've been balancing the books in the dynamic world of banking. As always, I'm your host, Michael Avery, and great to be back with you. Whether you're a banking professional, a financial enthusiast, or someone who simply just wants to stay informed about the world of finance, then you've certainly come to the right place. And this week, it's a great pleasure to welcome my next guest, Anban Chetty, who is the Chief Financial Officer of African Bank. And it's it's a great story, African Bank, a bit like uh, the phoenix rising from the ashes. So great to have you on the podcast, Anban. You're a fellow UJ alum, I see. You've worked at four of the big five banks, you've, you know, at Standard, Nedbank, Capitech, Absa. Tell me a little bit more about your career firstly so far in financial services. Michael, firstly, thank you so much for having me on your show. And I wish the show was going to go from success and strength to strength. Just on the my new on my careers, I've actually worked at five of the big five banks. Oh. I started off my, my career at EPSA in 99. I really knew I wanted to become a charter accountant and wanted to do my articles. I was very fortunate in the late 1990s, there was an opportunity where you could select to choose your articles, you either do it the traditional way, which was called training inside public practice. They call it TIP. Or you could choose to do training outside public practice, which was top. So I did my articles through EPSA Bank, which was a top registered entity with SICA. So I spent three years doing my articles at EPSA. Thereafter, I spent a further four years at EPSA, mainly in investment banking, doing a lot of transactions, management investment banking. In that stage, tax structuring was really the thing to be in where you there were lots of potential tax optimizations or tax efficiencies, getting fantastic effective interest rates. I learned a lot of modeling and financial modeling from APSA and my colleagues there. Really enjoyed APSA. After spending seven years, I decided I want to try something new. I felt like a kid at 18 who wants to leave home, but never sure what he wants to be doing. And then I was really fortunate. I had actually had two opportunities on the go, one at RMB and one at Standard Bank. And at that stage, the RMB offer came in faster and therefore, and it was the other big bank that I moved into was RMB. But I literally only spent about six months with RMB because the Standard Bank offer came in about three months in the RMB role. So very, very short stint at RMB. Then moved to Standard Bank for about five years. Once again, spent about two and a half years in investment banking. Did a lot of structuring or investment banking structuring. I was really fortunate to have been part of the teams that executed some of the large BE deals in South Africa, yes. like the Barlow yes. World transaction, the MediClinic transaction, the Cecil Inzalo transaction, the PPC transaction. So I was really fortunate as I moved into Standard Bank, I got exposure into the BE structuring of deals, which was phenomenal experience. And after spending about two and a half years in investment banking and holistically, I was roughly about just under 10 years in investment banking, I said, if you look at all traditional banks, the CIB is made up of three elements. It's your investment banking arm, it's your global markets arm, and it's your corporate banking arm. And I was really fortunate at that stage, about two and a half years into Standard Bank, that I could spend the remainder two and a half years in global markets. Got exposure to the interest rate desk, money markets desk, credit structuring. So it's really great exposure, understanding the link between investment banking and global markets. And after about two and a half years, at Standard Bank, and I got the flair of being in finance. That's where I moved myself into more finance roles because the previous roles in investment banking was more middle office slash operational. And then I was really fortunate to get an opportunity 
with NetBank Corporate as their divisional CFO. So that's where, that's about 10 years ago, and that's where the CFO bug bit in. And I spent about two and a half years at NetBank Corporate Banking, really getting into the understanding of more vanilla transactions. So I got away from investment banking, global markets, really more the corporate banks that are doing vanilla loans, and but they're also doing transactions. So if you look at it, a normal client will have like five, six debit orders going off the account, but a corporate on the other side needs to take the debit orders off their 100, 200,000 clients. So I got exposure to the other side of things. Spent about two and a half years there, and I was really fortunate because then it gave me the full arm of CIB. So I was really an expert in all aspects of saying I now got corporate banking exposure, had investment banking exposure, and global markets, which was already unique in the environment because normally individuals find their speciality and stay the remainder of their careers in that specific yeah. field. And then I moved on to another opportunity came on at, at NetBank about two and a half years in at NetBank Wealth. And then I was appointed as the cluster CFO of NetBank Wealth. What does a cluster mean is in within NetBank Group, there's four clusters. You've got your CIB once again, you have your retail and business banking. You normally will have your rest of Africa where your Africa exposure sit in. And then you have NetBank Wealth. So now I was fortunate enough to get into another pillar of a bank. And within NetBank Wealth, I was overseeing the entire insurance business as well. So that's the long-term and short-term insurance. I got great exposure into insurance and now bank assurance and financial services industry, which is very difficult. When you're in banking, it's very difficult to leave and move into another financial services sector mm. like insurance or pension funds. You're sort of niched into that. So I was fortunate to have exposure into long-term, short-term insurance, as well as NetBank Wealth had their net group investments. So that's where your unit trust came in. So great exposure into that. And then within the NetBank private wealth suite, once again, you had your high net worth clients coming in, as well as giving them your individual loans, as well as some of the high network clients had their small businesses or high income businesses that we gave facilities to, yeah. as well as all the other niche products like stock brokering, like the Net Group Trust where we do wills, like your financial brokers, we're sitting in, in that space as well. So it gave me a full suite of NetBank Well, which is really fantastic exposure. And I spent about two and a half years doing that role. And then I got a call from the group, the then group CFO of Capitec, who was yes. one of the founders. And the thing that really interested me, because I was embedded, all these roles that I spoke about was everything was in Johannesburg. So I was born and bred in Durban, did all my studying in Durban, moved to Johannesburg for the last 20 years at that stage for the now at that stage, moving into the four traditional banks. Yeah. Chatting, chatting to the group CFO of Capitec, he mentioned that he was looking to retire in about two years' time at that stage, and they had somebody internally that they were looking to potentially be a succession, but they also wanted to get an external person into the race as well. So that really intrigued me, because at NetBank, that was also the goal to become the group CFO, and I said, sure, from running a race of potentially, there's probably five, ten people at NetBank. Net group chasing the group CFO role, going into a race of two, the odds just seem better. But a big decision that came with that was the relocation to Stellenbosch. My wife Sue and my daughters Nia and Priya were really supportive because they knew daddy's going to be away and commuting. So what I did was for the first year, I did a commute from Johannesburg to Stelly. So I was here at that day, that was pre-COVID. So I was literally commuting on a Sunday in 
Monday to Friday in office and then fly oh. out on a Friday back for the weekend. So I would do that most probably three times a week in a month, which Exhausting. is really, really challenging. Yeah. And then at the end of that year, we decided was enjoying the role. And then my family would relocate to Stellenbosch, which worked out really well uh, on that relocation. And into the second year, COVID happened. And then literally everything was, was hybrid because my wife also works for a corporate bank as well. And she was going to do a, a commute the other way around. And fortunately, she could now work hybrid for the last three, three and a half years. So, so that worked out well. So that, that was the, the Capitec journey. And unfortunately, although I ran the race off of two, I, still, I, I did lose it. As you would know, there's, a, there's a, the colleagues that I went against. Or rather, we, we ran it together. I wouldn't say against. We ran it Andre, Andre Duplessis, who's, who's recently handed Andre over to Grant. Yeah. Grant, yes, yes, yes. So basically the three of us. Yeah, so, so Grant got into the role. I mean, Grant and I really, we always said the race is between us and whoever wins will give full support. And then when he was appointed earlier that year, last year, January, full support, I spent additional 18 months giving him that support because I was the CFO of the retail bank. And then other doors opened. You know, it was disappointing not to get the role you thought, but life has a way of one door closing, one door opening. And I've experienced that in my last almost 25 years in, yeah. in banking. And then I got the call from KGB and was the group CEO of African Bank. And I was really fortunate because this is where life is about never, ever burn bridges and always in corporate or in banking. It's such a small world. KGB and I worked at Standard Bank in my journey where I spoke about being at investment banking and at global markets. KGB was the then deputy CEO of Standard Corporate and Merchant Bank. So we worked a few years together about 10 years ago, and I got a call from KGB saying, would you be interested in considering group CFO role at African Bank? And that was my dream to be the group CFO of multiple banks, but the door opened <laughs> at, at African Bank. And, and for me, it wasn't about, it was really about the role and the bank, but also the people you're going to work for. You, yeah. We trusted and really worked well with KGB 10, 10 years ago, and, and it's about the reputation in the market. Mm -hmm. KGB is a well-respected person in the market. And if you look at the African bank story right now, the acquisition strategy in terms of Grindrod, the acquisition of the U-Bank, assets and liabilities, the potential acquisition of two business units of Sespen, the would be yeah. the equipment finance and the property finance. You know, KGB comes on with the strong investment banking piece, which is fantastic. Although African Bank is currently known as the more unsecured market, we're really looking to diversify that story mm. and get into the Accelerate 25. And that story really appealed to me. And that was the, a huge reason of, one, making the move to African Bank, which I really admired the brand and admired where they're looking to grow to. But secondly, respected KGB and my ex-co-colleagues, did a lot of research into the bank as well. And obviously, when I worked at Capitec for those five years, African Bank was a strong competitor, so we knew yeah. the competitor. So it gave me a good oh, understanding of African Bank. On that point, Ambana, it's a, it's a very interesting career that's given you this, this holistic view of the entire banking suite. But just looking at the challenge at African Bank, it's often been described as a bit of the, the underdog with a history of financial challenges. Did that appeal to you, the, you know, the ability to now, looking at the strategy that KGB has set it on, Kennedy's really executing on that, was, it, was that really got you up in the morning to say, right, here's an opportunity to be involved in this 
in this real phoenix rising from the ashes story. And maybe you can just provide some insights into the bank's journey since emerging from curatorship and its efforts towards financial recovery. Definitely, Michael. I think for me, I love a challenge. I love making a difference. And I really think we can make, as African banks, we will get it right and it will make a massive difference. And the impact and the change to the country that African bank can do can be phenomenal. And that's the part that gets me so excited, so enthusiastic about in my role. I, I, when I presented my board budget to my board of directors, they said, wow, they never heard a CFO that's actually partly plays a marketing role. Because mm. I come across so, ex- even when I do my the results presentation, I'm way too enthusiastic as a traditional <laughs> CFO that wears a great suit, although we wear jeans and 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 for, and, and shirts all the time. But the bank, it, it's just such an exciting story that had a lot of former glory. I mean, I really think poor decisions at a point in time let the bank down. And we can really build it again. We've got a strong 4,000 staff members at African Bank. We've got 450 branch network. We've got a solid app that's really stable. We've got a call center that can assist. So we've got all the right things in place. We've got 4 million clients on our platform. We continue to build that customer franchise. We just got to execute and execute it well. And I think as we've got our new Exco team in, it also comes with challenges having in the last two years, majority of the Exco barring one individual is new, is, is old, sorry. All of us are yeah. new. So we've got to work together and get this flywheel effect getting getting get to get spinning but i think we i really trust my colleagues i think we can do it it's going to be hard work i don't get me wrong michael it's not going to be mm. easy it's going to be lots of 24 7 days lots of big amount of effort going in but the one thing we got right at african bank is we are really focused on the customer which is right we are really focused on our staff which is the other part and then we're building as well african bank as well because at the heart of it you must have the customer for a key a key for me a principle is put the right input in which is customer and then the output of profit and other stuff will flow where people or organizations get it wrong they focus on the profit they focus on potentially a bonus or a bonus pool and not the customer mm-hmm. focus mm-hmm. on the customer and the rest will follow and that's a key emphasis that we are doing at African Bank. And you mentioned the, the recent acquisitions of Ubank, Grindrod Bank, the the potential deals with Sassfin around the capital equipment and commercial property finance businesses. Obviously, all of that signals this clear strategic intent and shift. So maybe you can just elaborate a bit more on that on that key shift and the drivers behind the move to diversify from what was really a monoline, unsecured consumer lending business to now a fully fledged retail and business bank. Absolutely, Michael. What's key about it is when we were the monoline business, unsecured lending does have high risk. It does have high returns. But any good investment manager would tell you, your investments should be diversified. You should have your unsecured business at a certain percentage or certain size of your business. You should diversify into other components. And that's exactly what we are doing. We are diversifying into business banking, and we've done that by acquiring our Grindrod, which came in with close to 12 billion of assets and deposits. Subsequently, we're looking to acquire the Sassfin Equipment Finance and Commercial Property Finance. 
their value is currently 3.2 billion. We will do our own value and the value that we comfortable with, we will want to proceed on the deal with, but let's call it round numbers, 3 billion. So that will grow the balance sheet as well, as well as we're looking at growing our insurance business. In our credit life, we're looking to do an enhanced funeral policy, which will be more competitive, better pricing. We currently have 100,000 policies on our book, and I believe there's a significant amount of opportunity in insurance, as well as as we grow into other components of secured, be it home loans, be it tech deals. You could be financing cell phones, purpose lending, where someone could be financing something around their house. We see that as an opportunity to diversify the business into different parts of it. But all those areas, Michael, the most important thing is transactional banking. We want to optimize the 4 million clients that we have on our platform, which grows daily. But if we can get more of those clients, part of their daily transactional banking lives, then you become part of their lives when they at a retail store, when the online store, it's your card that they're swiping, tapping, using at the ATM, doing something online. When you're part of their lives there, then you become part of their lives in insurance. When they need a funeral policy, you become part of their lives because it's always an individual that mm. becomes an entrepreneur or an SME. And we get them into their lives and the ecosystem in business banking as they start their business. We're launching a business banking transactional account to be part of our ecosystem. We continue to lend in the business banking stream. So every part of the their lifestyle, we want to be part of them because those individuals, be it an individual or business, would want to have a home loan, would want to have a commercial property finance. While they're running their business, if they're in manufacturing, they might want a yellow metal that they may need to finance. That's where equipment finance comes in. They may want to have build a retail mall or be part of a building in a commercial property finance. That's where the commercial property finance part of assessment that we're looking to acquire. So all these things are interplayable and linked, most importantly, into the client and into the strategy of listing in 2025. So everything we're doing is not by chance. Everything has a strategy, everything has a design, and everything we're doing links us into the important plan of listing into the future. I believe that listing plan is somewhere around 2025. Is We look at Often media headlines, I think, simplify complex financial transactions. Regarding the SASFIN deal, there does seem to be misunderstanding between the kind of headline amount and the actual money that will be paid. So can you just clarify the deal structure and the true financial impact on African Bank? Perfect, sure. So one, just to clarify, we're not buying SASFIN Bank. Within SASFIN Bank, there are two divisions that we feel fit our strategy. Those two divisions of business units, one is called equipment finance. That business effectively finances yellow, yellow machines, the big caterpillars, these, these, these equipment that is used in mining. Yeah. We're interested in, in that business. Currently, the net assets, if you look in the, on the financial statements, the net assets to that business is roughly about two and a half, two point, between 2.3, 2.5 billion, the net assets of that business. What we're going to be doing is checking that business, understanding the cash flows, 
understanding the value of those assets. Do those assets actually exist? What's the condition of those assets? Can we finance those assets? What's the concentration risk? Who are you lending into? So we're going to unpack that entire business and we'll make an offer to say the book value on your financial statements may say 2.3 billion. We think after we take our impairments that we feel you have, this is what we feel is the fair value. Mm. And we may offer a, an amount, and let's just use round numbers and say, we'll say 2 billion and we'll park that for that business. Then we're going to have, look at the other business, their commercial property finance unit, their current net assets on their balance sheet is roughly about 850 million. Once again, we're going to unpack this about 15 deals in that transaction. So it's much less. You could actually physically touch, feel, go and check those 15 properties to see value, get our specialist in to ensure that if your book value shows 800 million ish, what do we think it's worth? And let's just say, oh, now it's worth 700 million based on what we think is. Then what we will do is we will take our 2.3 plus 700 and we'll say, okay, cool guys, as a package, we now willing to offer 3 billion or 2.9 billion for these transactions. When we agree, and obviously there'll be a, and that's when negotiations would come in, willing buyer, willing seller, this is the price. But before we get there, we need to get firstly our Exco on board to ensure that we agree as Exco, we got to get our board, so our African bank board on board to say, yes, we can go ahead. Then if we are happy and Saxon must also be comfortable, and then we've also got to get the, the Prudential Authority and the regulators to say, yes, guys, we approve. So this is a good four to six months in terms of timeline, given all the approvals that we'd need to get as well. But that, that's really the essence of it. We're not just going to buy an asset that someone is, is selling. We're going we're gonna to be good stewards to African bank shareholders to ensure that we're doing the right thing for the bank while always linking it back to the African Bank Accelerate 25 plan. Right. So that, that certainly clarifies that. When it comes to your, your funding model, your, your, traditionally your funding model relied on kind of wholesale deposits, making it quite interconnected yeah. with the banking industry. How have you addressed this aspect of your funding model to reduce some of that interconnectivity risk? I think the, the one big thing is, and it once again is going to link to that customer franchise of 4 million clients and continues to grow, is that retail deposits are so key to a bank. But to gain retail deposits, it's not just about numbers. It's about having a trust. It's about having a brand. Why do customers put money in a bank? It's because they trust. Instead of keeping the cash in the typical terms of under your mattress, and you put it into the bank, it's because you trust them. You believe your money is safe, and with that, you're an interest. And the one thing that African Bank does exceptionally well is we pay you interest from the first rand that's into your My World account. You can move your account, your money into other savings pockets or fixed deposits and notice deposits that pay exceptionally good competitive rates. But Everything, wherever you put your funds in, you're always earning interest, which is phenomenal. So that's a brand that clients trust us with, and that's grown our retail deposits. Secondly, by acquiring Green Road Bank and by ensuring that we're building up a business banking division, that came with additional liquidity as well, close to 12 billion of deposits that we've acquired from that business, as well as acquiring Ubank. That came with about 4 billion of deposits as well. So we've really bolstered the retail and business banking deposits 
while at the same time having about 4 billion of wholesale deposits. So that gives us a good mix of effectively retail deposits being more than half. Then you got your business banking deposits being about 40%, and then you got wholesale deposits about 10. Roughly gives you a very good mix of how the balance sheet should be. Mm-hmm. And what we've done subsequently, when we've acquired Grindrod and we've acquired Ubank, we used our liquidity or the deposits that we had on our balance sheet. We didn't raise for the capital. So we acquired that and we optimized our capital from close to 43% down to 30 So all this is a reduction, but it's a positive story of optimizing capital. But given the strong growth trajectory that we want to grow into business banking secured assets and even within consumer banking secured assets, we need additional capital because currently majority of our capital is tier one in banking. So that's mainly your equity or your shareholders capital. We want to grow that by getting tier two capital. So we will go to the capital markets towards the end of this calendar year, as well as early next year, to raise more tier two capital. But that's a positive story of diversifying now mm-hmm. that capital base. So the way we've diversified our assets from unsecured to secured, the way we've diversified our deposits from wholesale to retail and to business, we're now going into capital from saying we're diversifying our capital base from tier one into tier two, which is no different to where the traditional banks, and the market has good capital optimization. So that's a great initiative that we're driving driving into the end of this calendar year as well as into the new financial year. And we really wait to tap the capital markets because the latest number the market would have seen for us was the loss at half year. And once we show the market return to profitability in the second half of the year, and we felt that will be an appropriate time to tap into the capital markets. And that will also potentially give us better pricing mm. as we issue the tier two capital as well. Anban, it's been fantastic having you on the podcast. I've got to have you back on because there, there are lots more things around the bank that I find absolutely fascinating. Thanks so much for joining us and reflecting on some of your journey in the financial services and banking space and and certainly on the historical context of the establishment of African Bank as the first black-owned bank back in 1974 and and just some insights into how you plan to honour that legacy and and serve the needs of uh, South Africa's, I want to say, emerging middle classes, but it's more than that because you're a business bank now as well. But it really shows that this is one turnaround story that is is turning. I know Warren Buffett famously Absolutely. said turnarounds never turn, but this is certainly proving the exception to the rule. Thanks so much for your time.